Hello, my dear friends. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Practical Parsha Podcast, coming to you live from the Practical Parsha Podcast studio. And we're here today for another great episode. We're starting the book of Shemos, the book of Exodus, where the Jewish people are beginning their descent into slavery, which will eventually triumph into their redemption from Egypt and their accepting of the Torah. Before I begin today, I'd like to talk to you about a special endeavor that I've been working on. It's called Rabbis Can Run. As some of you might have known from the different times I've referenced it throughout my different podcasts, I'm a runner. And the way that began was through this great program of Rabbis Can Run, where rabbis from around the world gathered together in Florida for the benefit of Olami, which helps further Jewish education on college campuses and with young Jewish professionals to spread the richness of our Jewish heritage. And today I wanted to reach out to you to help me reach my goal of $3,500. I'm almost there. And thank God the training has been coming along. Last Sunday, I ran 10 miles. I still can't believe it. It was amazing. And I can see the finish line. What began as something which seemed almost impossible is becoming clear and clearer that I could, I'm almost there. I could see the 13 miles that I signed up for. And God willing, I also see the, the finish line for my fundraising goal of $3,500. If you can do something to help me reach my fundraising goal, that'll be, I would truly appreciate it. The link is in the show notes. Please take a moment, click that link, give whatever you can, and continue with the podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or just would like to say hello, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shemos. And as I mentioned, we're beginning the second book. And there's so much to discuss in this week's Parsha. I wanted to give a quick overview of the different storylines and thoughts that are expressed this week in the Torah portion. The Torah begins that the generation of the brothers, Yosef, and all the 12 tribes passes. A new king, and according to some commentaries, it was the same Paro, arises in Egypt and forgets Yosef, does not know him, or is a new new king, and starts enslaving the Jews. They're afraid that maybe there's too many Jews and they're going to overtake the land, but yet they don't want to let them go free because they're going to lose out on all their talents. So they decide to enslave the Jewish people. Additionally, Paro makes a decree that every Jewish male should be thrown into the Nile. He commands the Hebrew midwives to kill any Jewish male that's born. They do not listen to him. And they let the boys live. The Torah tells us of the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu, how he was put in a basket and saved, how he was put in a basket and saved by the daughter of Paro, being raised in the Paro's house. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, identifies with his people and at a certain point in time sees an Egyptian about to strike a Jew. He kills the Egyptian to save his Jewish brother and has to flee from the land of Egypt. He goes to the land of Midian and meets his wife, Tzipora, where he becomes a shepherd for his father-in-law's flock. 
The Torah also tells us the story of the burning bush. When Moshe Rabbeinu is watching the sheep of his father-in-law, a sheep runs off and takes him to this bush that's burning. But the miraculous part of this event is that the, fe- is that the bush is not being consumed. It's burning, but yet nothing's happening. It is still staying whole. And God comes to Moshe in a prophecy and tells him that he has been chosen as the leader to take the Jews out of Egypt. He gives Moshe Rabbeinu different miraculous signs to show the Jewish nation that he is the chosen one to take them out of Egypt to receive the Torah. After God reassures Moshe Rabbeinu, he goes and returns to Egypt. Moshe and Aaron, his brother, approach Paro and ask him to let the Jewish people go to serve God for a few days in the desert. Paro refuses their request and tells the Egyptian taskmasters to increase the burden upon the Jewish people. The Jewish people complain to Moshe and Aaron about the increased workload and they cry out to God. The first idea I wanted to share with you focuses on the naming of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah tells us after Moshe Rabbeinu was saved from the Nile River by Basheva, the daughter of Paro, he was her adopted son. The Torah relates to us how she gave him the name Moshe. The boy grew up and she brought him to the daughter of Paro and he was a son to her. She called his name Moses as she said, for I have drew him from the water. The Torah tells us that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was called Moses was because the daughter of Paro, Basheva, drew him from the water, from the water he drew him, therefore his name was Moshe. And it's very interesting because the Talmud and the Midrash tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu had other names. And in fact, the name that he was given at birth was not Moshe. Moshe was his Egyptian name. It was the name that his Egyptian stepmother had given him. There are other names that we know Moshe Rabbeinu as. Avigdor. His father called him Chavar. His mother called him Yikusiel. Miriam called him Yered. Aaron called him Avizanoach. And the Talmud, the Midrash, tell us the many names of Moshe Rabbeinu. But yet, when the Torah refers to him, we refer to him in only one name and one name only. That's Moshe, Moses. And the question is begged to be asked, is that why is the name that Moshe Rabbeinu is always referred to, he's always called to by God, Moshe. His Egyptian name, Moses. Why is that the name that the Torah uses to refer to the greatest leader of the Jewish people? Wouldn't it make sense to use his Hebrew name that his mother gave him, his father gave him, that Aaron gave him, that Miriam gave him, the other names that are related in the Talmud? Why are we using the name Moshe, Moses? I think this is a very good question. And it brings to two fundamental ideas which I want to express today to you. The first one is a concept of hakaras hatov. 
having gratitude. And we've talked before on this podcast about this concept of gratitude when we discuss the mitzvah of Bikurim, the mitzvah of first fruits. And the idea is, is that we always have to have gratitude for, for everything. And we know from Moshe Rabbeinu, he was extremely in tune to this midah, to this characteristic. Next week's Parsha, when the Torah tells us that God commands Moshe Rabbeinu to strike the Egyptians with the makos, to begin the makos, he tells him, hit the Nile River and blood will come. That's for the first plague. And the second plague, God commands Moshe Rabbeinu to hit the Nile River and the plague of frogs will happen. And each one of those first two times, Moshe tells his brother Aaron to take his staff and to hit the Nile River. And the commentaries explain there that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu did this was because he had hakaras hatov. He had gratitude to the water, to the Nile River that had saved his life from being killed from the Egyptians. And think about that for a moment. The water is inanimate. It's not living. But yet Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, expressed a certain sense of gratitude, hakaras hatov, to the Nile River for saving his life and therefore didn't want to strike it. And it's interesting because, right, a river doesn't have feelings. It doesn't hurt when he hits it. But I believe it was for himself. It was for himself that he should keep himself perfectly honed in this character trait of Hakarasatov. His mida of having gratitude should not be affected in any way. So therefore, he felt it was not appropriate for him, who had been saved by the Nile River, to strike the river. And if you source this Mida back, this trait, I believe it comes from his name, Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, the name that Moshe Rabbeinu kept, the name that God referred to him as, the name that the Torah calls him, is always Moshe. Because there's a certain sense of Hakoras, Hatov, that Moshe Rabbeinu had when it came to his stepmother. Even though she was Egyptian, it wasn't, she wasn't his biological mother, he had a certain sense of akaras hatov. Imagine that. And the Torah always refers to him as such, Moshe. For from the water I drew him, imbuing in him this midah, this trait of akaras hatov. And just for ourselves, when it comes to the people we deal with and our lives, you know, there's so many things that we just take for granted. Maybe we get supper every night from our spouse. Do we say thank you? When someone holds the door for us, do we appreciate it? Right? All the things that people do for us. Do we have gratitude? Do we have akara satov? You know, when we have this proper outlook of akara satov, of gratitude, it sort of makes everything, it makes people easier to deal with. It makes life easier and better. And really the ultimate form of this is having hakara satov to God, having this trait of gratitude to Hashem. Do we appreciate everything that Hashem does for us, our lives, everything good we have, our blessing, our family? And that's something we need to constantly work on and internalize, even for something as inanimate as the Nile River when it comes to interactions with things that are inanimate, 
to have the proper hakara, satov, gratitude. And that's one idea which is being taught from the fact that the Torah refers to Moshe Rabbeinu in his Egyptian name that his stepmother, Basheva, gave to him. Another fundamental concept that we can use to answer this question of why we only use Moshe Rabbeinu's name in the Torah and not his other names that was given to him by birth or by his father, by mother, by the Talmud, is because there's something that's being expressed here that's also fundamental and important. And that is the trait of Mesiras Nefesh. And it's really hard to translate that exactly, but it's maybe a term that's used for self-sacrifice. That Basheva, the daughter of Paro, took tremendous risk to herself to save this Jewish boy and to bring him into her father's house. She was risking her life. She was risking everything. But she did it anyways because it was the correct thing to do. She had mesiras nefesh, a certain sense of self-sacrifice, that she was willing to give it up for something that was a higher cause, that was more important than just her. And that's the idea that's also being expressed in the name Moshe, the name Moses. And that's why the Torah uses specifically that name that represents self-sacrifice. And that's why Hashem, that's why when God refers to Moshe Rabbeinu, He only calls him Moshe. Because the name Moshe tells us and shows to us self-sacrifice. And that's really another trait that epitomized Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, many times we see in the Torah, he's ready to give it up everything to save the Jewish people, to, to advocate on their behalf. Nothing stopped him from from leading the Jewish people, even by the most severe of cases, such as the case by the story of the golden calf, where the Jews had sinned horribly right after receiving the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem, erase me from your book if you're not going to save the Jewish people. He was willing to put himself so far that he could push himself away for for the higher cause of saving the Jewish nation. And that's why it's appropriate to use the name Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah because it conveys that message. It conveys that idea of Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice, and specifically self-sacrifice to a higher cause. And that's something we could take out as well because we all have things which are important to us. But it's important to remember that there are things that are greater than us. There are causes that are bigger than us. And every day, a Jew sh- says in Shema, we say in Shema twice a day, We're gonna, we have a commandment to love Hashem with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our resources. That means we have to have a certain self-sacrifice that it means that if we're going to have to lose money in order to serve God, we have to be willing and able to do that. If we're going to even lose our lives in order to stand up for the values of Hashem, in certain circumstances, right? We, we know the three cardinal sins that a Jew has to give up his life for instead of committing them. We have to be willing to do that. And it's just a, it, it's something that we need to keep in our mind. We don't have to think about it every second. But the point is, is that when it comes to our Judaism, it comes to our Yiddishkeit, there's a certain willingness of self-sacrifice that we need to have. And this is something that's in a DNA of a Jewish person that we've seen throughout our history have how Jews 
have been willing to risk everything just to do a mitzvah, to light menorah in a concentration camp, to have some type of form of matzah under the noses of the Nazis, to study Torah uh, under the noses of the Soviet KGB, and so on and so forth. It's something which is in our DNA, it's in our blood, and it's something we just have to remember and keep on our mind so that God willing will be able to make the right decisions and to go higher and higher. Another powerful idea which I wanted to share with you this week is about the prophecy of the burning bush. And the commentaries discuss the different ideas and symbolism and messages that this prophecy um, was to Moshe Rabbeinu. That God commands Moshe that after wandering in the desert to find pasture for his sheep, Moshe Rabbeinu comes across a burning bush. And he sees that this bush is not being consumed. And God speaks to Moshe for the very first time at this point. And the commentaries discuss why Moshe Rabbeinu had a prophecy through a burning bush, what was the significance of this bush, and different answers are given, such as the fact that God was represent was showing to Moshe Rabbeinu that he too was in exile as well. And this idea that the Shekhinah of God, the divine presence of Hashem, rests in even the lowliest of places. But what I wanted to focus on today was a little bit of the background of the story of how Moshe Rabbeinu, how Moses, got to the burning bush. And as I mentioned before, Moshe Rabbeinu could not find pasture for his animals, so he kept walking and walking and walking. And the Midrashim bring down that he walked for 40 days miraculously without food or water and ended up by the foot of Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. And the Midrashim tell us that one of the sheep of his flock ran off and Moshe Rabbeinu gave chase to this little lamb, this little sheep. And when he caught up to the sheep, he noticed that the sheep was drinking water, was tired. And he said, he said you know, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu seeing this recognizes the sheep's distress, picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulders because he didn't know that the sheep needed that help. And it's at that point that Moshe Rabbeinu sees the burning bush and has a prophecy to become the leader of the Jewish people, to redeem them from Egypt, becoming the greatest leader the Jewish people have ever known. And really this brings out a very powerful point. Because if you ask most people, what makes a good leader? How does someone gain a position of leadership? People will tell you different answers. They'll say, good looks, good oratory skills, someone who's able to get things done, someone who has a strong personality, someone who has a very persuasive personality. These are some of the characteristics that a person, that you will hear when you ask someone what makes a good leader. But the Torah tells us something different. And the reason why I want to point this out is because many times we don't see ourselves as fitting the characteristics that I listed. We don't think we have good oratory skills. We don't think we're persuasive. We don't think we're a um, strong personality. We don't think we can get things done. But in truth, that's not what's necessary to be an effective leader. Because the Torah tells us 
Why did Moshe Rabbeinu merit to become the leader of the Jewish people? Because he chased after the sheep. He picked it up over his shoulders and carried it back to the rest of the flock. And when Hashem saw that, when God saw that, He said, this is who I want to be the leader of the Jewish people, to take them out of Egypt, to get them to receive the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu saw something and cared and did something about it. He merited to become the leader of the Jewish nation. And going back to our discussion about leadership, what's necessary to be an effective leader, sure, sometimes oratory skills could be good, persuasiveness could be good, all these things that I listed could be good, but that's not what's necessary to be a great leader. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have good oratory skills. He was a very humble person. We see that when Hashem asked him to be the leader, he, refu- he doesn't want to be. He, doesn't, he needs reassurances. He wasn't super confident. He needs God to reassure him. But one thing we see very clearly, even from the beginning, is that when Moshe saw something, he acted. And that's what a true leader is. Is that when they see something needs to be done, they'll take the correct action to try to do something to get it done. Obviously, success is not always in our hands. But just looking at a situation and not doing nothing, that's not what leadership is. It's when you see something and you try to do something to help fix the situation. That's what leadership is. So going back to ourselves, you know, we may not think we're the most macho personality or persuasive or you know, charming to be this leader, but that's not what we need. We just need to see something and do something. That makes us a leader. That will make us an effective person to help other people, to get things done. When we see a situation, have number one, the eyes, the glasses, to see things, to notice. And when we see something, to try to take an action, to care, and to, to take action to get something done. So it's two parts, caring, and yet at the same time, doing something with that caring, trying to remedy the situation, to fix it, to accomplish. And that's what makes someone a true great leader. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomakon with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.